Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. I love that we get to sing together, grow together, praise God together, all the things we get to do together. So thanks for joining us online or here on campus. You know, when there's so many voices around us all the time, right? So many people telling us what to do, so many people vying for our attention, so many people saying, hey, this is what we think you should do, this is what's true, this is what's right, this is what you listen to. How do you make a decision to listen or not listen? How do you decide within your own self that you're going to tune in and not just hear what people say, but actually listen to what someone says and do what they say? What do you use as criteria? I think for most of us, it's credibility. I think credibility being believable or worthy of trust is sort of the litmus test for us. If someone is credible, then we'll believe them. And what sort of builds credibility with people is trustworthiness. So if you do what you say and say what you do, and over time you build up cred with me, then I believe you and I might listen to you, I might follow what you say. When I look for an accountant or a lawyer or a mechanic, I'm looking for a credible one, aren't you? Right, because if you find, okay, let me Google search the best mechanic in town and someone gets one star, are they really believable and trustworthy? I'm not going to that mechanic, I'm just telling you, right? So accountants, lawyers, all mechanics, we want credible ones. How about police officers and school teachers, right? If someone's not believable, trustworthy, credible as an officer or as a teacher, harmful things happen in our world without the credibility of trustworthiness that they're believable, that they're going to do things right. How about in the world of Christianity? I mean, what about with pastors and priests, churches and ministries? Do we look for credible ones? I mean, I think so, right? Because if you have a pastor or a priest, a church or a ministry that's not credible, that's not believable, that's not trustworthy, there's harm and damage done to people within Christianity because Pastors and leaders aren't trustworthy, right? And so we kind of look back through the centuries since Jesus lived and died and rose again, we can look back at leaders, Christian kings, right? Christian politicians of our day. We can look at priests, we can look at pastors, we can see churches and ministries that become so self-inflated, they become so egotistical, they seem so money-hungry, power-hungry, they seem so self-absorbed that in the name of Christianity, politicians and kings and pastors and priests and leaders have done all kinds of harm and damage because they're not credible. They actually don't have the heart of Christ. They might say the right things, but their hearts are far from God, and because of it, it does damage. Have you experienced this before? And I, and I can look at people around me and I can see leaders and priests and churches and pastors. I can look all around me and kind of trace all kinds of problems that happen. But when was the last time you asked yourself the question, am I a credible Christian or not? Right, it's easy. I, I can sit here and from where I stand and where I sit and how I live, I can point fingers at all kinds of people how, hey, that person's not believable, that church is not trustworthy, that leader, that, that. When have you picked up the mirror and looked at yourself and asked the question, 
am I a believable, trustworthy, credible Christian? And I think for most of us, we go, well, I don't know. I haven't really thought about that. Like, maybe that's not in your mind. You're like, I haven't really processed that. Or you might go, well, even if I did and I wanted to be a credible Christian that was believable, trustworthy, what I say I believe actually lines up with who I am, and I'm not a different person depending on where I am, and I'm authentic and aligned in every aspect of my life, you might say I want that, but I don't even know how to get that. I don't even know where that comes from. Thank God for the Spirit and the Bible. Right, We have God's spirit and we have the Bible. So we're starting this new sermon series in the New Testament book of Titus where an older man writes to a younger man, hey, you wanna be credible? Let me show you what it looks like. So Paul writes to this younger man, Titus, and says, hey, this is what it looks like for you to be a credible Christian. This is what it looks like for you to develop credible leaders. This is what it looks like for you to grow, develop credible churches. Let me show you how to do this. And this is, Paul writes this in an era before public you know, printing and before YouTube and before podcasts and all this stuff. So he writes this letter and to Titus and to anybody who is willing to listen, this letter was precious, priceless, beautiful, important because it was giving practical guidance on credibility as a follower of Jesus and growing anyone who is hungry how to become a credible Christian. And we have the opportunity hundreds of years later to open this up and it's still just as alive and credible today to look at and grow and be kind, become the kind of person, the kind of leaders, the kind of church that doesn't just say we're followers of Jesus, but we actually start to look like Jesus. We start to actually lead like Jesus, love like Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, we're in Titus chapter one, starting to work our way through. We're gonna look at the first four verses today. Simple hack on how to find Titus in the New Testament. Look for a bunch of T's in the short letters and you'll find Titus buried among the T's. Titus chapter one, and we're going to work our way again through this whole letter over the next couple months together. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for the opportunity to approach your word today, to gather as your family and with your spirit's help, open up the Bible. God, this morning when I woke up and started to get ready for church, I looked at myself in the mirror and my hair was a mess and I did something about it. The mirror doesn't lie. Your word is a mirror that doesn't lie. Your sons and daughters are gathered right now to look in the mirror of what is true, to learn, to see what is true and to do something about it. How foolish it would be as your sons and daughters to look into your word and walk away and not do what we see is right and true. So would you help us with humble hearts to look at you and your word and be changed in this moment as we gather together? Would your spirit be unleashed here to do what only you can do, comfort, guide, teach, convict, instruct us to how to live lives that are believable, trustworthy as your sons and daughters. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. The book of Titus is written in the form of a letter, and so letters have forms, right? So if today we were gonna write a letter, it would be like we put the date at the top of the page, return a couple times, dear so-and-so, write a couple sentences, sincerely best regards, Jersey Joe, right? Like that's the form of a letter that we would use now. 
When we look at this ancient letter, we're going to see in the opening lines of Titus this ancient form of letter writing. Titus chapter one, verse one. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true son in our common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul opens this letter with a long run-on sentence. Can I get an amen? Like, really, guy? Seriously? Like, this is way too much. How about like, dear Titus, this is what I want you to do. Love Paul. Like, what's the deal? Right, so in these opening four verses, it's 350 plus characters, which is 210 more characters than a tweet, right? And we're supposed to go through this whole thing? Like this is way too much information. And yet, it's so important to realize that Paul has a reason why he writes this way. There's no FedEx, there's no email, there's no mail. His friend Titus gets this letter, and how is he going to know it's from his friend Paul? Oh, by the opening lines that he writes, he's going to be able to see this is my friend Paul and it will immediately gain credibility in his mind as something that's going to help him. And in these opening sentences, we're introduced to five main characters. Paul is the author. He refers to God. In these opening lines, he refers to Jesus. He refers to a group of people, God's elect and tells us who the letter's addressed to, Titus. So we have Paul, God, Jesus, God's elect, Titus. Five opening characters. It's worth slowing down to understand who these characters are. Verse one, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Servant and apostle. What does this mean? Homework, class, read Acts chapter nine in your New Testament. You can kind of go through the life of Paul. If you read the entire book of Acts, you'll see who he is and kind of get a grip of it. But just in short form, Paul's a guy who grows up in a Jewish family and he gets a 1600 on his SATs, right? Super smart. And he goes to the Ivy League of Hebrew education, a brilliant person. And his brilliance leads him to an unbridled passion He becomes a religious extremist and he decides he's going to kill people who don't think the way he does about Judaism. So we read in the book of Acts that Jesus dies and rises again and his followers see it with their own eyes. It changes their life and they can't help but going around telling people about what Jesus has done. And Paul sees this group of people and goes, I've got to stop this. So he starts to try to persecute, put them in jail, and kill people who follow this sect or tribe of Christianity or Judaism. And in this process, Jesus stops Paul in his tracks. Paul's on his way to a city, read about this in Acts 9, and Jesus blinds him. If you were walking down the street doing something you shouldn't, and Jesus showed up and said, you now can't see, and your literally physical eyes are blind, would that get your attention? Sometimes we say, God, I want you to do something, show me something, do something in my life, and we miss the little ways he does it, 
And so in Paul's life, he missed a lot of little things. So God did a big thing and took his eyesight away to stop him in his tracks and teach him to change course because what Paul was doing was evil and wrong in the name of God. So he got blinded for a couple days and it transformed his life. And he goes from being someone who persecutes Christians to the single greatest spokesman for Jesus that probably ever walked the face of the earth. Jesus describes him in Acts chapter nine, verse 15. He says, this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. Immediately, Paul starts telling people about Jesus. Think of it. You're the leader of the person that's killing Christians, and all of a sudden, the next day, you start telling people about Jesus and how great he is? Like, there's no way in the beginning moments of his life and transformation, people are listening to him going, bro, you're not credible at all. You're not, breathing, you're not trustworthy. You're not believable. You were trying to hurt us this day, and now you're trying to tell us how great Jesus is? And you've had this experience, too. You've heard and seen people changed, and you go, I don't believe you. It will be proven over time, right, if you're trustworthy and believable. But over time, Paul's transformation is legit. He's really changed by Jesus, and he begins to walk around telling people about Jesus. This super smart guy begins to see that now he's a servant of God. And the word he uses, actually in Greek, servant is translated slave. It's the word slave. He sees that God is infinite, God is master, he is finite, he is servant. God gets to tell him what to do and he's gonna follow orders. Radically shifting Paul's life. He's a servant of God. And he describes himself as an apostle of Jesus. That's a big deal, right? Because there's 12 apostles. And Paul now is saying he's an apostle? The apostles were guys that were with Jesus for his entire life. Paul wasn't with Jesus his entire life on earth. Apostles were the ones that had a front row seat to see Jesus crucified and walk out of a grave. Paul wasn't there. How, how does this happen? Paul wasn't there when Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And Surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. He wasn't there, but Paul bumped into the resurrected Christ and had a conversation where Jesus said, Paul, I want to make you into my instrument. I want you to be my mouthpiece. Go and tell people the good news of Jesus, especially to non-Jewish people. Baptize them, teach them. I'm going to go with you. And because of the radical transformation of Paul and the firsthand experience he had with the risen Christ, the early church saw Paul as an apostle. And he calls himself the apostle who is unnaturally born. It wasn't the normal way, and yet he's an apostle of Jesus. The word apostle means sent one, someone who's sent to do something. So he's a servant, and someone sent to do something, and we read what he's sent to do. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. He is sent to do something, to further the faith and further the knowledge of God's elect. So, so think of this. You, have you been to a chiropractor that's helped you? I don't know. Somebody at work's like, my back is killing me. You're like, oh, oh, I got this chiropractor. He helped me. What do you do? You tell people the good news about your chiropractor. You have this favorite song or artist. You have this favorite author or restaurant. You have this favorite thing that's changed you that you love. You can't help telling people about what you love. Paul 
was walking down a road trying to kill people. Jesus arrested him in a moment, took away his eyesight, said to him, I want you to change courses. His life is radically changed. He can't help but go around telling everybody about how great the Jesus restaurant is. Right? Like, Jesus has changed me. It's so great. I can't stop telling people about it. I can't stop telling people that God made you, that he loves you, that you botched it. You made a mess of everything. He can't help but tell people that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that he came to offer forgiveness and new life to you by faith, not by anything you do, but the good news of Jesus is it's received by faith. You don't clean up your act. You don't be more religious. It's none of that. It's received by faith, and in this we learn God's elect. God's elect are those who respond by faith to the gift of grace through Jesus. Paul writes this and says, hey, Paul, your job is going to be to go further the knowledge of God's elect, the people who respond by faith to the gift of grace through Jesus, that there's nothing you can do but put your trust in him. That's God's elect. Write this down, Ephesians 1.4, go look at it. Ephesians 1.4 says, for God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love, God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise and the glorious of his grace which he has freely given us and the one he loves. So Paul's saying God's elect are those who respond by faith to this gift of grace that our salvation is completely sourced by God. It's God's goodness and God's mercy and God's kindness from beginning to end that rescues us and brings us into his family, that elects us, adopts us, because God pursued us, not because we pursued him. Because God sent Jesus, not because we could fix it ourselves. Because Jesus rose again from the dead, not that we could pay for any sin ourselves, but believe by faith in Christ, we're adopted, elected into the family of God. And Paul's been sent now to further the faith of people who have put their trust in Jesus he travels all around telling people this good news and baptizes people and teaches them to believe and obey Jesus. And this is where we're told about something credible, right? So where does this credible Christianity come from? I want you to check this out. Paul says that he does this as the apostle, as the one sent by God, as a servant of God, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, so this is really important. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. It doesn't say that you have to clean up your act and go to catechism. It doesn't say give more, be clean, purified, don't cuss, don't chew, and don't go with girls that do. It doesn't say any of that. It says by faith, we please God. That we see ourselves as broken and sinful, that we can't fix ourselves in any possible way, but that God sends Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice that changes our lives, and by faith... We are adopted into God's family, right? Do you have faith in Jesus today? I don't know. Do you have faith in Jesus? Because your faith begins to transform you and adopt you, elect you into the family of God forever. Not by works so that no one can boast. It's by faith. Paul says, I've been sent as a servant, an apostle, an apostle to further faith, but also to further their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. This is credibility right here. You know, godly people are credible people. Ungodly people are not credible. 
right? And so there are lots of people today that have faith in Jesus Christ, that say, I believe. There are lots of people and politicians and priests and pastors and churches that call themselves Christians. They have faith, but what about this knowledge of truth that leads to godliness? It's not knowledge and truth that puffs up so you have more knowledge and more truth so you puff up and you become holier and spiritual so you puff up with more knowledge and truth. That's not the point. It's knowledge and truth that leads to godliness. Are you more godlike today than you were when you started the journey? Are you like him? Because that's credible. When I become like Jesus, then I'm credible, I'm believable, I'm trustworthy. When I give myself the label Christian, but I don't look anything like Christ, the heart of selfishness that I had before I put my, heart, my life in Christ's hands is the same heart I have today, and I say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian politician, I'm a Christian pastor, I'm a Christian leader, but there's nothing godly in my life, something is wrong. Without godliness, there's no spirit of God, there's no transformation, there's no Jesus. Lots of people that call themselves followers of Jesus but have no godliness. And so the credibility comes as I begin to learn and say to the Spirit of God, help me, grow me, change me, that the fruit of my life would be evidence of godliness, that the love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and self-control that you put inside of me begins to show outside of me. And I look different, then I'm credible. When I say, hey, I'm a Christian landscaper, I'm a Christian financial planner. I'm a Christian PTO member. I'm a follower of Jesus. There's a connection between what I say and what I do. It's not just words. I'm a Christian. Are you a godly person? Do you look like God or don't you? Only you know. And everybody around you that you're trying to fake. And so Paul, here we learn a little bit about Paul and a little bit about Jesus, learn a little bit about God's elect. Verse two and three tell us more about God. It says, all this good news about adoption and election has been given so that we would have hope which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Look at that phrase, God who does not lie. Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't it be terrible if our God was not credible? If our God lied? That would be terrible. Isn't it wonderful that God made a plan before the beginning of time when he made us, he made us in love. He knows that by loving us, he's gonna give us choices and we're gonna choose not to follow him. And he goes, you know what? In love, I'm gonna give them choices and when they choose to not follow me, I'm gonna have a plan to rescue them and pay for their sins on the cross. I'm gonna put in motion an opportunity for them to choose to follow me and receive forgiveness. I'm gonna send my son and God promises and delivers and sends his one and only son into this world so that if we receive the gift of life, we're in relationship with God. If we reject the gift of life, we don't have a relationship. He promised this. I love, if you want to write this down, Numbers 23, 19 describes God this way. It says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does God speak and then not act? No. Does he promise and not fulfill? No. God says it and it's done. He's credible, believable, trustworthy. He offers life through his son as the only way to be adopted into his family. If you accept the life he offers, he gives it to you and you're adopted into his family. If you reject it and go, you know what? I don't need you, God. I don't want you, God. He's like, okay, 
If you don't want me, you don't have to have me. I'm not gonna force myself on you, right? He's believable, trustworthy in his gift of Jesus Christ. The last character we meet in this introduction is Titus, the guy Paul's writing to. Verse four, to Titus, my true son in our common faith. Titus is not Paul's biological son. He's his spiritual son, which means at some point in Paul's life and travels, he's traveling around some area, and there's this guy, Titus, and Titus hears Paul talk about Jesus and how Jesus has changed his life. Titus hears how if you put your trust in Jesus, he adopts you and elects you into his family. As you begin to know more knowledge, Titus accepts this and begins to grow godly and bear the fruit of godliness. And at some point, for whatever reason, Paul chose Titus as one of his traveling companions. And we read in 2 Corinthians 8.23, Paul describes Titus this way. He says, Titus is my partner and my co-worker among you. He becomes this servant of God, just like Paul, and he travels with Paul from town to town. It's interesting, Paul trusts Titus so much that when Paul writes a letter, he gives it to Titus and says, hey, go deliver this. There's no FedEx, right, no mail service. He says, Titus, here's a letter, I want you to take it to this church. And Titus shows up with this letter and gives it to the, hey, this is from Paul, and people go, it's believable. Paul trusts Titus so much that he takes Titus with him on his journey back to Jerusalem. If you read in Acts chapter 15, there's this big leadership meeting in the early church, and Paul's like, I'm bringing Titus with me to this leadership meeting. There's something about Titus that's super credible to Paul, and Paul's like, we're partners. So as they're traveling around town to town, they do this work of sharing the love of God to all people. And these people put their faith in Jesus and little churches start to spring up in little houses and little regions all over the place. Titus and Paul are traveling. And at one point they come to this area known as Crete. And Paul decides to preach the gospel there and keep going. And Titus stays in this area to grow as a credible Christian, to grow credible leaders and to grow credible churches. And Paul, a few years later, picks up a pen and writes his spiritual son and ministry partner, and that's where we get the biblical book of Titus. He's traveled with him, now he's left behind to build credible churches and leaders, and Paul's like, let me encourage you, here's a letter. So we have some believable, trustworthy characters, in my mind, in the opening lines of the book of Titus. You have God who does not lie, right? God who sees the world and makes the world and loves the world, and he gives the world choices and says, if you're gonna reject me, I have another plan, a backup plan, so to speak, to give you life through my son by faith. And I don't lie, and I'm gonna come through, and Jesus shows up, and Jesus is credible, right? One of the reasons Jesus is so credible is he walks around planet Earth, he's so graceful and so truthful, people are like, I'm around God when I'm around Jesus. Because everything that Jesus does and says is just like God would do. And there's something historical, right? Jesus is no fairy tale. The reason our calendars changed and lives of billions of people changed is because Jesus is a historic figure, but he's more than a historic figure. He walked out of a grave alive. He was dead and alive again. And hundreds of people touched him and had breakfast with him, right? Like they connected with him. He's historical, real, alive, credible, believable, trustworthy is Jesus. And you have a guy named Paul. I mean, Paul's walking as a Christian or a Jewish extremist, killing people for his faith. And God arrests him, blinds him, and transforms him. Because FYI, if you didn't know this, God never uses violence to advance his kingdom, 
right? So religious extremism with violence is never the way God uses. So he stops Paul in his tracks and says, go this way. And Paul's life is radically changed and gives his life to show people the love of Christ, travels around and is put in prison and dies for his faith in Christ. Super credible. And you have this guy, Titus, who's not really famous, but he's in the Bible. And Paul writes him a letter and He's growing in godliness and the fruit of the love, joy, peace, and patience of God starts to, he's bared witness in his life and Paul trusts him enough with this early church. This early church is established through this guy, Titus. He's very credible and the reason we have churches now is because of people like this who were faithful, credible, believable, followed Jesus, did what Jesus said and grew the fruit of repentance and fruit of love, joy, peace, and patience on their lives so that people saw that down through the generations so we get to see it now. Even in the midst of a world where there's lots of people that are uncredible and unbelievable, there are followers of Christ today that are believable. And so it leads me to this question, what about you? I go back to the beginning. Are you a credible Christian or not? When people look at you, what do they see? I, I want to kind of point this out. A Christian is someone who follows Christ, who's put their trust in Christ. Maybe you're watching today and you're coming here and, and you you don't have faith in Christ yet. You're not a Christian yet. I am so glad that you're here on your journey. It is so cool that you have come here to listen and to think about Jesus. And walking with Jesus is something you have to make conscious decisions about. You have to think about it. And sometimes faith in Christ is hard, so it's a journey. I'm so glad you're journeying with us to discover if you believe Jesus or not, is true or not true. If you seek him, the Bible says, you will find him. If he really is the creator and sustainer of the universe, if you seek him, you will find him. But let me say this. Some people struggle to follow Jesus because pastors and preachers like me have been so incredible, not believable, not trustworthy. Like maybe the reason that you're struggling in your faith is because a pastor or a priest or a church or a ministry hurt you or abused you. And in that hurt or abuse, you have not found Jesus to be trustworthy and believable. Maybe that's you and your story. Here's what I will tell you. Every pastor and every church will disappoint you. This pastor and this church will disappoint you, but Jesus will never disappoint you. He will never let you down right? And so he in all his ways is perfect and good. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And there's a lot of imperfect people that are trying and stumbling and figuring it out. But at the end of the day, I'm going to let you down. And Faith Church is going to let you down, but Jesus won't let you down. And so we're a part of a family of believers that are attempting to be credible, but I'm going to disappoint you. We're going to disappoint you. We're going to disappoint each other, but Jesus won't. And so that's why our eyes are fixed on him, and as we fix our eyes on him, we can become credible Christians with our eyes fixed on him. And here's how I would define a credible Christian. A credible Christian is a person growing in the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Are you growing? Are you growing in knowledge and truth? Are you opening up your Bible? Are you becoming more godlike? Because if you're not, then you're not credible. If you're not, and, and we all have seasons, right? There's moments where I'm pursuing God and I'm growing in grace and I'm growing in knowledge and I'm growing in truth. And then there's times I backslide from that and I screw it up left and right. We're all on this journey, but in the overall trajectory of your life, are you growing in the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness? 
Or are you just calling yourself a Christian? Are you more godly today than you were 10 years ago? Or are you exactly the same place? Then I question whether you're godly or credible at all. It's a journey, I get it, but is the overarching direction of your life to apply the truth of God to your life and grow in grace and the knowledge of the truth of the fruits of the Spirit, are they evident in your life? Because here's what's incredible. You, you put your trust in Jesus, he puts the Spirit in you. And it's incredible, he changes your heart. He gives you the heart of Christ. And as you apply the truth of God's word to your heart, you become more godlike. But here's what's cool. One day, I know this might surprise you, you're gonna die. I know you just got Botox, you're still gonna die. I know you went to the doctor and you got a clean bill of health, you're gonna die. I know you take vitamins and I know you work out, you're going to die maybe today. Maybe today. And when you die, you're going to stand before your God and creator. And if you're a follower of Christ, what's so awesome is it says in the moment that you see Jesus face to face, you're gonna be transformed to be like him immediately in his perfection and godliness, totally in a moment. It's so incredible, but I don't want that change to be so abrupt. I want it now. Why do I have to wait to look like Jesus until I see him face to face after my dirt nap? I want to start looking like him now. How? A person growing in the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness will begin to look like Jesus now. You can start being loving and gracious and kind, full of peace and joy and self-control. You can be a Christian leader, a Christian husband, Christian business person, a landscaper, a stay-at-home parent. You can be in the PTO and work out in the gym and be godly. Or you can be an incredible Christian that doesn't look anything like him except by name only. Is that what your goal is? And then that abrupt change when you see him face to face? No, I wanna grow. Week by week, month by month, year by year, I'm gonna fall, I'm gonna make mistakes, I'm gonna backslide, I'm gonna screw it up, but I wanna grow in the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness so that when I interact with people here on earth, they start to see God in me and in you that we could be a part of credible Christianity in the valley and the world. That should be our hope. Let's lean in together. God, thanks for the opportunity to lean into your word and to learn and grow and change. Lord, we're all on this journey and we botch it. We screw it up left and right, but your grace is so deep and you're so patient with us and you want to make us into the image of your son now. And it happens by applying the truth of your word to our lives now. And with your spirit's help, we can bear the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control right now. To the end that when people look at me as a father and a husband and a leader and a pastor, they don't see me, but they see you. That's what I want, God, but I fall short of that all the time, but that's my desire and my great hope. And I know that so many listening right now, that's their desire and great hope too. Would you make me into a credible Christian? Would you make us into credible Christians? 
who show and demonstrate the grace and truth of God in all the different interactions of our lives. Use this letter to Titus as we work through it together to help us in this pursuit. Thank you that we can count on your help. You don't leave us alone, but you'll walk with us through every step and stage of this. I ask all this through our risen Lord's name, Jesus. Amen.